Well, it's very good to be with you. I've been uh, looking forward to this for, for quite some time. Uh, Dr. Newfell Fast reminded me again in my emotional state of uh, attending the UN Climate uh, Change Conference in Durban last fall. I think one of the most difficult things was I found it actually to be much more emotional than I had anticipated. And one of the most difficult things was hearing particularly the island states begging for their survival with the rising ocean levels, begging, begging uh, global leaders for their existence, for their survival. And to hear that and not be able to feel like you can't do anything to correct it, and not only that, but feeling like the global leaders were just not hearing it. That was, um, that was very difficult to be, to be a part of that. And so I want to applaud you for this week and for your decision to focus on creation care. I think creation care is an important topic for the Christian church. And your willingness to engage in this topic this week, I think, is very commendable. And I'm thrilled to be a part of this with you. In fact, I would say not only is it commendable, but creation care, I think, is crucial in strengthening the integrity of the church in Canada. So I'd like to really quickly use the text of 2 Corinthians 9, 11 to 15 to guide our time this morning. And I recognize this is not a typical text for creation care. The Apostle Paul is, appeal, is appealing to the church in Corinth to be generous, to remember the poor in Jerusalem. But it is the way in which the Apostle Paul positions generosity that I think is so intriguing. In verse 11, he identifies wealth as a strategic component of God's worship, like the heavens that declare the glory of the Lord in Psalm 19.1. Wealth is the, is, is the material of generosity provided for the praise and worship of God. Apostle Paul says in verse 11, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So the intention of wealth is to bring praise to God. In verse 12 then, Paul similarly identifies obedient service as a strategic component of God's worship like the stones that will burst forth in, in, uh, in song if the disciples remain silent when Jesus entered Jerusalem in Luke 19.40. Obedient service is a vibrant melody of praise. The Apostle Paul said in verse 12, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. So obedient service not only meets need, but also causes people to praise God. And then finally, in verse 13, Paul links generosity and service to the integrity of a confession of the gospel of Christ. Like creation, displaying the invisible, the invisible qualities of God's eternal power and divine nature, that Paul said in Romans 1.20, generosity and obedient service confirm the validity of the gospel of Christ. Verse 13, he says, Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, people will praise God 
for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. Much like the statement of Jesus in John 13, 35, the identity of a disciple of Christ is linked to the expression of love for others. All will know that you are my disciples, said Jesus, if you love one another. And so in his appeal to the church in Corinth, Paul fuses worship and confession of Christ with generosity and service. It is a clear foraging of worship with how we live. You can't separate those two. The two are connected. And it is in this fusion that I see the connection to creation care. Christians often look for a theology of creation care, but I am beginning to realize that creation care is more naturally lodged within a theology of worship because true worship encompasses generosity, restraint, and compassion. And these values are critical to creation care, generosity, restraint, and compassion. Indeed, it is their opposites, greed, recklessness, and apathy that threaten the health of the earth and its inhabitants. It is people of faith conditioned and committed to live lives of worship by loving God and their neighbor that are most logically positioned to lead the way in seeking climate justice and creation care. Creation care is a natural outcome of an authentic and sincere desire to worship God. Anabaptism, which is my family of faith, focuses on discipleship and service and has always resisted a one-dimensional understanding of worship. Menno Simons, the founder of our Mennonite tradition, wrote, true evangelical faith cannot lie dormant. It clothes the naked. It comforts the sorrowful. It shelters the destitute. It serves those that harm it. It binds up that which is wounded. Such an understanding of faithfulness to God will naturally lead us to express commitment to the other. It is in alignment to the directive expressed by Jesus. When asked in Matthew 22, which is the greatest commandment of the law? You know this. Jesus replied by saying, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it, he said. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So friends, I submit to you today that if you follow this directive, it will be impossible to ignore the compassionate imperative of creation care. Food security has become a global crisis. According to a recent report by Willie Reimer and Bruce Gunther at the Mennonite Central Committee Canada annual general meeting just a couple weeks ago, every night, one billion people, one-sixth of the world's population goes to bed hungry. The growth of global uh, undernourishment can be largely attributed to the increasing number of people affected by environmental disaster, such as drought, flooding, and storm surges. An estimated 250 million people are affected by climate-related hazards in a typical year. 
according to Reimer and Gunther. And that is projected to grow by 50% to an estimated 375 million people a year by the year 2015. 2015. That's not a long-term projection, a growth of 50% of those negatively impacted by climate-related disasters. Friends, we simply cannot claim to worship God, to worship the one who instructed us to love God and our neighbor with all of our beings and ignore these dynamics. If there is even a chance that our Canadian lifestyle patterns contribute to the suffering of our global neighbors, our worship and reverence to God will compel us to seek correction and express compassion. As worshipers of God, we simply cannot cooperate with greed, recklessness, and apathy. Our love for God obliges us to express generosity, restraint, and compassion. Generosity, because the passion of God, of grace and mercy, bubbles up from deep within us. With the Spirit of God in us, we can't help ourselves from being generous. Restraint, because reckless abandonment to a selfish focus leaves us feeling empty and depleted. We yearn for greater surrender to God, not a defeat to self-indulgence. With the Spirit of God in us, the discipline of restraint is joyfully embraced. It's what it means to be a follower of God. Compassion, because disregard for others is just intolerable for us. Inaction is unacceptable. With the spirit of the redeeming God in us, the one who initiated reconciliation, we cannot help ourselves but push aside apathy and become engaged. And I suggest to you the integrity of our faith witness in Canada and our confession of the gospel of Christ is greatly weakened if our worship does not find expression in creation care. I think our North American culture has become shaped and formed by an ideology that seems to be reaching its limit. And I'm not telling you anything new. You know this. The theory of what I call sort of that continual expansion fed by the devouring of an endless supply of goods has become the prevailing economic model. Our world has ascribed to this theory. So if economic growth faltered, the solution was to increase the appetite. So people buy more. We're hearing that now in, in, in our Canadian economic uh, encouragement. Get people buying, spending money. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a, a theory that that means we have to keep purchasing, keep consuming, and when economic growth falters, then you have to get people to, to get hungry again and start buying more. So consumption has been the foundation for sustained success. Yet, as the economic world is now reminding us, growth is finite. Consumption has its limits. Resources do come to an end. The earth can be spent until we are all broke, penniless, with no more mineral deposits left to form our coins. Somehow, we must learn to live with less. Somehow, our global economy must learn to exist with a reduced rate of consumption. 
It will not be an easy lesson, but I think it is an inevitable lesson. We are experiencing an interesting time in history, a time of global ferment and reorientation. From the Arab Spring to the Occupy Movement, we are witnessing a new generation of global citizens demanding more equitable systems. They are questioning the need for an economic growth dependent on insatiable consumption. A more global, sensitive, and savvy population is beginning to question their appetites and asking economic systems, corporations, and governments to do the same. In this global reassessment, people are also noting consumption patterns and values displayed by faith communities. They expect the church to be a contrast to unbridled appetite. They expect the church to exhibit values of global justice and communal welfare. Creation care is neighbor care. Climate justice is standing in solidarity with the poor and disadvantaged. Consumption practices must be evaluated by people of faith. The developed countries of the world hold 25% of the world's population, but consume 75% of all energy, 85% of all wood products, and 72% of all the steel produced. Canadians are consuming at a pace that's two and a half times greater than the average global citizen. This is the time for the church in Canada to take the lead in modeling joyful discipline. Now is the time to display a worship that expresses itself in restraint. We need strong congregations. We will need courageous pastors. We will need audacious Christian communities who are fearless in living out an alternative proclamation of the gospel, a gospel that produces freedom from the sin of unquestioned appetites. We need communities and families and young people committed to simple living as a spiritual discipline designed to promote economic justice and challenge the reckless earth decaying consumption. We're gonna need new business leaders who first, whose first motivation is a concern for communal sustainability and neighbor care so that profit is as much about generosity and global sustainability as it is about personal gain. Friends, you have engaged on a difficult topic this week, and you're going to be challenged and changed even if you don't become a real advocate on behalf of, of creation care. You're going to hear things, you're going to learn things that you cannot dismiss. So you've begun on a challenging journey, but you're not alone. This is a supportive community for initiating change as a school environment, as a Christian environment, part of the Christian church. The Christian church should be that supportive community for initiating change. Together, your voice will be heard in asking for better public policies. Together, you can resist the unchallenged lure of status purchasing. But remember, we do this because this is our worship. Because we love God, we will love our neighbor. Because we love God, we will grow in our restraint. Because we love God, we will evaluate our purchases. 
Because we love God, we will question our consumption. Because we love God, we will challenge global systems that encourage and perpetuate consumption. Because we love God, we will exercise our voice in solidarity with those suffering from, from environmental disasters. But remember, as you go through this week, as you embrace the things you hear and learn, and as you allow that anxiety to become part of your worship for God, this is our worship. If our response to this journey is held within worship as an expression of our worship, it will be life-giving. Even restraint, if it's part of our worship, it becomes life-giving to us and to others. This is the God we serve. So may the God of grace, joy, and compassion guide us all as we grow in our worship. Amen.